Well, welcome everybody to the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. I am Father Chris Alar. It is great to welcome you back to our continuing seminary series as I am taking you all back to seminary with me to learn about our Catholic faith. We're live here at the National Shrine for really the first day of spring. All right, so we're almost in June and we've just had miserably cold weather. We finally got a great day. So thank you for joining us. God bless you from wherever you are. And as you saw on the slide, uh, we are going to be talking about something that I'll tell you what, they don't even hardly teach in seminary that much. We do learn enough about it to be good priests, but we don't hear a lot about it in the pulpit. We need to, and that's the reality of the existence of hell. And so we're not here to scare anybody today. We're here to teach. So please stay with us. And this will be, as Brother Mark can show, a continuation of of our Explaining the Faith series, which is a DVD that you can still pick up. These are different talks than I've done on YouTube. I did them on parishes. So if you haven't gotten these thinking, well, I heard the YouTube talks, these are different because I did them out at parishes. So we hope that you'll consider getting those at 1-800-462-7426, or you can get them at shopmercy.org. God bless you. Now let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love, who through the diversity of all tongues have brought the nations together in the unity of faith. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you will renew the face of the earth. O God, who instructed the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gift of the same spirit, we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is an incredibly important topic. You have to know as they teach in the art of war, you have to know your enemy or you will never be able to succeed against him. Now, this doesn't mean that we want to tackle him head on. There's very much a way that we do avoid hell. And that's what we're going to talk about today. All right. Ironically, and so you saw from our first slide that hell, uh, what's it like and how do we avoid it? All right. Ironically, hell exists because God is love. And you're probably like, what, Father? This is the one thing that doesn't make sense about God's love. Actually, it makes perfect sense. Hell exists because God is love. Why? All right. Since God is love and nobody argues, he desires only freely given love from us, from his creatures. If he forced us to love him, then we wouldn't be giving him true love. Real, true love is offered freely and re received freely. Offered freely and received freely. So if this is the case, the choice not to love must also be a possibility. And that is what this is about. We are made in the likeness, the image, as you've heard, and likeness of God. And we are patterned after the Trinity. And that is perfect love. They live in love. If we refuse to love God and our neighbor, remember the two great commandments, we are denying our very nature as a person. Try to go against the nature of something. It doesn't work. 
Try to use a fishing rod for a pole vault. It doesn't work. Try to use a baseball bat for, well, as you see, I got something caught in my teeth, a toothpick. It doesn't work. It's not the nature. It's what, not what it's for. And when we don't love, we're going against our nature. And so we are denying the very thing that will fulfill our deepest desires, and that is to love. Now, if we do that, we set ourselves up for hell. Plain and simple. Father, I don't understand that because that is the heart of what hell is. The separation from God and what is God or who is God? He is love. So this is what we're dealing with. Now let's look at our next slide. By definition, <clears throat> according to the Catechism 1033, hell is the state of definitive self-exclusion, meaning we remove ourselves, not that God removes us, from communion with God and the blessed. But here's the thing, as I will talk about, if you read that, you'll be like, oh, Father, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to run away from God. Yes, you do. I do. We do it every day. Every time that we don't follow his will, we do that. And so we want to be sure. When I hear people like Scott Hahn say, that, you know, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling, it makes me go, oh, my goodness. We all have to listen to this. Remember, evil, you've heard me say this before, evil is not a real created thing. Father, what are you talking about? Open the newspaper. No, it's a privation of something. A lack, a lack of something. This is what it is. God is goodness itself. So when we remove God from our schools, our courtrooms, our homes, our families, our society, we are removing God. He is goodness itself. And when we remove God, we're not allowed to mention the name Jesus or pray anymore. We're removing goodness itself. When you remove God, who is goodness, you remove goodness. And that is a lack of goodness. And that's the definition of evil. That's basically what hell is, a lack of the good, the lack of God, because you've separated yourself from him. What is left is a lack, a privation of the good. That is what evil is, a separation from God. The choice to be separated from God, who is the ultimate good, results in the ultimate evil. That is hell. All right. So remember that even though God is love, he will respect our free will choices as the greatest gift we've received ever. Even though he loves us and always will, we may refuse to reciprocate that love and choose not to love him, to separate from him, and we see it every day. Don't think just because you're a good person that you're automatically going to heaven. That is not church teaching. It's more than just not being a bad person. You have to require and desire that union with God. All right, let's look at our next slide. One of my favorite authors, you've heard me say before, C.S. Lewis, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. This is what C.S. Lewis said. This explains why a merciful God allows some souls to go to hell. Notice I said allows. He doesn't condemn. In their own twisted way, they want to be there. Now, again, don't be sitting there thinking, well, then I'm in great shape, Father, because I don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. We choose it, even though sometimes we don't even realize it. And our choice is like not caring about going to mass or not caring about worshiping our God. 
Their hatred of God then is something that's sometimes clandestine. They don't even see it, right? It would make them miserable in heaven. If you're miserable in church, you're going to be miserable in heaven. And so this is what we're trying to wake everybody up. We'll explain this. Somebody wrote me a letter saying, Father, I don't believe that. Well, it's church teaching, but we'll explain it. All right, now, how does hell come about? All right, it's determined at your particular judgment. Then we will all have the general judgment. You've heard me talk about this in a prior talk. As soon as you die, you go through your personal judgment where you will find out if you go to heaven, hell, or purgatory layover. <laughs> and then at the general judgment, you'll find out about everybody else and you'll get your bodies back. So let's look at our next slide. At the general judgment, the unjust will rise from the dead and the just will rise from the dead. The just will get glorified, brimming bodies, shining with light. And the unjust will be given a darkened body. That's why that slide says, what will our bodies be like in hell? So instead of the spirit controlling the body like it does in heaven, the body will control the spirit in hell in a carnal and twisted way. And so this is what we have to look out for. Appetites are never satisfied and will never be quenched. The more sin, the darker the body. Now today, normally for the first, this is my 49th talk in this series. And we have focused probably 46 of those 49 times on the positive love and mercy of God. Today is a reality that I would not be doing a good as a priest if I didn't educate you about the dangers of hell. So please, as you're listening here, don't say, oh, geez, Father, I don't want to hear this negative stuff. No, 45 out of 49 talks have been positive about God's love and mercy. But if a priest never mentions the pitfalls or the traps that you could step into if you're out in the forest and you might fall into the quicksand or into the uh, jungle and you could fall into the quicksand, you would say to that guy, why don't you warn me? Why didn't you tell me? This is why we're here today. What's this goal of being here today? Because we love you. As our Marian helpers, we care about you. Our job is to get you to heaven. Our, our, our focus as Marian priests and brothers is to ensure that you know the faith so that you can live it and you can get to heaven and avoid this hell. It's not meant to scare you. It's meant to educate you. And so let's keep going. This is important. Now, Mark 9, 4 describes hell as the worm that never dies. So the other pain in hell is a pain of sense. The greatest pain is the pain of loss, knowing what you could have had in God, but you chose not to. That's the greatest one. We were created to be with God. But when we give that up and we turn away from it, that's the greatest suffering in hell. But there will also be suffering of the senses. So even if a person, however, here's the good news. Father, you're making me depressed today. No, no, no. We're going to get to God's mercy here because that's the answer to all this. But even if a person led a bad life, they still have a chance for mercy. You know, the diary 
talks about in 1486, the Diary of St. Faustina and 1698, that God will come to the soul at the end of their life, giving them the chance to repent. My personal view on that is that's awesome, but don't risk waiting that long. Repent here on earth. Repent now, change our lives now so that we don't have to worry about the moment of our death. And so that's the beauty of this message. Remember, the devil's the one who desires your damnation, not God. He's the one who accuses us of sins. You know, that. don't fall for his traps because he'll tempt you. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Like, you know, maybe you're being tempted with impurity or drugs or alcohol or sloth or envy or hatred or lack of forgiveness. And the devil will say, come on, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then you do it. And then he goes, look what you've done. You're slime. You're miserable. And God's like, yes, you're miserable, but that's why you need my mercy. You see, that's how it works. All right. So it's the devil who wants to see justice without mercy. Don't fall for this trap. God sent his son to save us, not damn us, to open the gates of heaven, not to throw us into hell. Remember John 3, 16, God sent his only begotten son so that those who believe in him will have everlasting life. God is love and he loves all of us and desires that we will be saved. But this is not universalism. There's a big debate going on right now with Bishop Barron and others about this universalism. We'll get to that in a moment. God wants this to be saved, all of us, but knows that some of us will reject that love and not be saved. We are first and foremost responsible for our own salvation. Please don't also fall into that trap that I'll risk my own salvation to save my children. No, you might do that with your temporal life, but you can't do that with your soul. It's like you're on the airplane, remember? And they talk about if we experience turbulence and the oxygen mass fall from the ceiling. What do they tell you? Put it on you first so then you can help others. They don't tell you to grab it and put it on everybody else around you. You'll die. And so you also have to realize that I have to get my own soul in order first, and then I can help others. But you are first and mostly responsible for your own salvation, not of your child. Don't you think that, oh, well, you know, I don't want to bring this up to offend my child. I'm not going to go to church when he comes to visit because it'll be offensive to him. And that's not charitable. And I don't want to be uncharitable because that's bad for both of our souls. No, the truth needs to be said with love. Got it? Okay. Now, the goal is to aid our brothers and sisters through intercessory prayer to get them to heaven with us. All right. So how powerful is hell? Let's talk about this for a minute. How powerful is hell? You know, they had a survey for the first time. High school seniors believe, more than 50% believe, that Satan is every bit as powerful in God, as God. Just God is good and Satan is bad, but they're both as equally powerful. No, <laughs> hell is utterly powerless compared to the infinite might of heaven. This belief that they're equal is wrong. All right, let's look at our next slide. This is the powerful prayer of St. Michael, right? The devil is infinitely lower than God. In fact, he's even lower than St. Michael, an angel. 
equal at best, but there he's getting his head stomped on by St. Michael. And there's the St. Michael prayer, right? Hell is only as powerful as we allow it to be. This is important. Demons can reach your intellect. They can put things in your mind. They can tempt you, but they cannot force you to act. That is your will. Only your will is controlled by you. And God doesn't even control your will. If God controlled your will, then there would be no hell. We'd all be robots. So factor in, that's the only thing in the world that control your will is you. God set it up that way. That expression, the devil made me do it, false. Don't use that expression. You made you do it. The devil can tempt you, but he can't make you do it. Now, let's look at our next slide. This is an awesome painting. Our Lady, that's her feet. She's stepping on the serpent, right? By grace, Mary is, even Mary is greater. She's greater. In fact, Satan fears Mary more than God. Why? Because he can halfway understand getting whooped up on by God. God is God. But to lose to a 15-year-old Jewish girl? That's way more than his pride can handle. Even St. Joseph is the terror of demons. So they're not even as great as St. Joseph. Indeed, really all the saints. So why are we giving him so much power? It's only the power we give him. Do you not know that we will judge the angels? 1 Corinthians 6.3. So spiritual warfare isn't really a battle between God and hell, which most everybody thinks it is. Um, God can't lose. It really is between fallen angels and unfallen angels, and we humans are caught in the middle. The war obviously has been won by God, but the battles will continue. It's like World War II. By mid-1945, the war was pretty much over. The Allies had prevailed, but there were still several battles like Iwo Jima and others that needed to be fought, and there were casualties. So God has won this war, but we are still involved in individual battles for souls. The battles going on in your workplace, battles going on in your family, battles going on in your own life, and you're trying to limit the casualties because God will ultimately win, but how many souls Satan takes with him as casualties is what we have to limit, all right? We dare, we have to warn people, we have to, you know, against the, um, the effect of the devil because sometimes people can get fascinated with evil. You know the Ouija board, palm readers, seances, you know, in fact, you know that movie uh, in the 70s, The Exorcist? I actually read the true transcript for that in seminary in one of the courses I had on spiritual warfare. And you know, the transcript was scarier than the movie. I was petrified reading it, but I shouldn't have been. And do you know how that boy got possessed? By playing the Ouija board with his aunt. Don't open those portals. Those are portals. They can open portals because we want to know all things. People say, well, that's not that bad, Father. They were playing a game. I remember we had an Ouija board when I was a kid. Thank goodness we got rid of it. Because people think, well, it's just a game. Actually, it's a portal. Because what you're trying to do is know all things. What was the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden? The great sin, the great fall. 
eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to know all things. They wanted to have the knowledge of God. So it is more than just rejecting God that can get us into mess with demons. It's glorifying ourselves. I want to be like God. That's why pride is the biggest sin. And so we can open these portals through sins such as drugs and pornography as well. So they can be through sins of pride, like, like the Ouija board. I want to know all things. I want to talk to the dead. I want to run a seance. I want to be a medium with spirits. Or it can be through weakness, like pornography and drugs. All these things can open uh, portals. Don't let it in your house. If you know some of this is going on in your house, you as the guide and the leader of that house have to make sure that that stuff doesn't happen. That that stuff doesn't happen in your house. We can also open these portals through things such as unforgiveness, through things that we do not understand that we have led into uh, down the dark paths. So hell then, what is it? It's a place of brokenness where people are only shadows of their former selves. Sorry, we're closed. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, so hell is a place of this, this um, brokenness that we experience right here sometimes on earth. They're only shadows of ourselves. Let's look at our next slide. Okay. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? This is Matthew 16, 25. Now, this is what hell is. The selfish will lose everything but the charitable will become more fully themselves than ever. This begs the question, how many people will be saved? You know, a good friend of mine, let's look at our next slide, is Ralph Martin. You want to see a great, great theologian. He teaches in Detroit at Sacred Heart Seminary. I actually went to seminary with him at Dominican House. A good friend of mine, excellent guy. You want to read excellent work, faithful to the teaching of the church, Read Ralph Martin. This guy is great. Here's a picture of him with his book. How many will be saved? Now, yes, he points the prophecy in scriptures, tells us that the way to heaven is narrow and the way to hell is wide. Many saints and theologians like Ralph Martin say that it is likely that many will be lost. That's backed up by church fathers, church tradition, that's backed up by scripture. But others have said that we hope that all will be saved. This is like Bishop Barron, von Balthasar, even Pope Benedict XVI said it in a certain way. So I want to explain something here on this. I'm going to give you my theory, all right? How do we resolve this? How do we resolve that some say many will be lost because that's what it says in scripture. And others say that God desires everyone to be saved. They're both true, but yet are they contradictory? All right. I have a resolution to this. Now I'm going to give you just my opinion. This is not dogmatic revelation, but God is outside of time. 
You've heard me say this. In the final moments of every life on this earth, every soul, God has said he comes to them. That's a private moment that's not known to any of us. None of us know the state of a soul at the moment of death. Now, if this is the case, Diary 1486 and Diary 1698, if this is the case where Jesus says, I come to the soul at the moment of death, we have to say, wait a minute here. We can't condemn those people. We got to pray for them. Because if God is outside of time, our prayers even today, that's my story of my grandmother. I'm not going to tell it here, but you've probably heard it, is when my grandmother took her life back in 1993, this priest told me 10 years later, pray the chaplet for her. I said, well, Father, she's been judged. She's, she's died. He says, no, God is outside of time. There's no past for God. There's no future for God. There's one big eternal present moment for God. So you can pray now. And those prayers, because God knew 10 years ago that you'd be here tonight praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. God can take those graces from that Divine Mercy Chaplet and apply them back to your grandmother at the moment of her judgment to actually help her say yes to God and be saved where ordinarily she wouldn't have been. This is the story of the four men and the paralytic. When that man was sick, they lowered him to the feet of Jesus. The man on the stretcher did nothing. He didn't mumble a word. Jesus didn't look at him and say, your faith has healed you. He looked at the four men on the roof and he said, their faith has healed this man. That's intercessory prayer. Take your loved ones and bring them to the feet of Jesus, even if they've died 10, 20 years ago, because God is outside of time. 10, 20 years ago, God knew you'd be making that prayer today for your loved ones, and he'll give them that grace at the moment of judgment before they are sentenced. And maybe that grace will be enough for them to say yes to God, an incredible concept. And so this is something that's important. Our prayers might help them. No, we can't release them from hell. Once a soul is in hell, that's eternal, that's permanent. But we're talking at the moment of judgment. Give them one last chance to say yes, using the grace of your prayers, even from years later, because God's outside of time. It's incredible. Now, we may potentially be able to help every single soul that has ever lived. If we all prayed, if every one of us prayed, did penance, sacrificed, offered masses for every single one of these souls that had, to, it would take all the people of the world to do it, we could save everyone. Now, some may still reject Jesus. This is true. Even with all that grace, some may still say no. But I tell you, there would still be a lot. Mary said to um to the children fed them on many souls go to hell because there's nobody to pray for them. She wasn't talking about the fact that only those dying at that very moment. She was talking about souls throughout history. So we may potentially help every soul. We can have masses, sacrifices, devotions, offering our sufferings even today for those who have died a while ago. All salvation, all salvation and grace comes through Christ. But Christ's body is the church. So you can have these masses or prayers, whatever it is, offer up Holy Communion for them. That's incredible how you have the ability to help 
people make it to heaven. That's why we're here. This is why I do this. This is why Brother Mark and I now, Dale's with Brother Mark helping him today. This is why we go through this. We'd much, you know, in the human sense, whether it be fishing, but in the spiritual sense, we know, no, this is where we're supposed to be right now, helping you to get to heaven. All right, let's look at our next slide. This is why Cardinal Ratzinger made an important statement. He said, it should be kept in mind that prophecy in the biblical sense does not mean to predict the future. Everybody thinks that. Everybody thinks prophecy means to predict the future. No, he says it is to explain the will of God for the present and therefore show the right path to take for the future. That means that when Mary came at Fatima and said, if you do not do prayer and penance, a great war will break out and Russia will spread her heirs. But if you do what I tell you, you will avoid that. So prophecy is contingent. It's not written in stone, Benedict said. So basically the future is contingent. It's not set in stone. These are warnings so that we can get on the right path. It's the same with hell. Hell is warned. We are warned of it in the gospel so we get on the right path in the same way. Hell and damnation, these are warnings because hell and damnation could be the same type of thing, a warning, a prophetic word. Like, you know, Jonah, remember Jonah in the Bible? A word was given to Jonah, a prophetic word was given to Jonah by God. It was true prophecy. And he said, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. What happened? Was Nineveh destroyed? No. He went and preached the word. He warned everybody. They changed. They fasted. They did. They responded. They repented. They put on sackcloth and ashes. And Nineveh was not destroyed. Your soul may be on the way to damnation. Today we are here with you saying, no, no. We're going to put on sackcloth and ashes and appeal to the mercy of God. It's not so much that we can flog ourselves or, or starve ourselves to do it. We do it because God's mercy. We turn to him and say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. You know, as I said, Mary said to the children of Fatima that prayer has this kind of power. Our lady showed the children hell, saying that it is where poor sinners go because there aren't enough people to pray and make sacrifices for them. This is why we hear, this is why the Association of Mirror and Helpers prays for you and you pray for us. My goodness, Jesus says in scripture all the time where two or more are gathered together, there I am. We have hundreds of thousands of people gathered together in our association. There God will be. That's why I pray for you every day when you are a Marian helper. I pray for all those who call the right to us, those who ask us for prayers, all those we promise to pray for, all those we are obligated to pray for. That's what being a Marian helper is all about. Wow. Mary also taught him that prayer, to pray for everyone to be saved. Now that's not universalism. Please don't write me a letter and saying, Father Chris, that's universalism. That's not what we're talking about here. Look at the words of Mary. Oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fire of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. We pray that every day at the rosary. We pray for those most likely to be damned with the real hope that they can still be saved through prayer. Now they have to accept it, and there are some that will not. Am I saying that there are no souls in heaven? No, that's a heresy. 
It's called universalism. I'm sorry, no souls in hell. Am I saying there are no souls in hell? No, that's a heresy. It's called universalism. Dr. Robert Stackpole did a good writing, God bless him, on this whole controversy going on right now. And I'm not going to take sides here. I just want to tell you what was said. Let's look at our next slide. This is a really good book called Catholicism by Bishop Barron. And Dr. Robert Stackpole writes on this very respectfully. I'm not, we're not here to point fingers or, or say, you know, this is heresy or anything. We're just pointing some things out that Dr. Robert Stackpole did in his writing. He said that Bishop Barron does some great work in this book of Catholicism. He said, but there's some parts there that start to wander a little bit. And he wanted to point them out to keep you on the right path. Bishop Barron said, we must hold out at least the hope that all people will be saved. He says we can because nobody is definitively in hell. The church has never said even Hitler or Stalin is in hell. Now the odds are pretty good, but you don't know. Hitler could have had a brain tumor or possessed by the devil. We don't know. Remember that story, the guy who shot the people at the bell tower at the University of Texas in the 1960s? Everybody was screaming, let them rot in hell. They did an autopsy and found out he had a brain tumor the size of a golf ball. So we really don't know that he was fully culpable for what he did. Now, Bishop Barron says, because we've never said anybody's in hell, we have the hope that all people, 100% will be saved. Dr. Robert Stackpole says, let's not go so fast here. He says, because we don't know for sure that any particular soul is in hell, doesn't mean that nobody is. Right? Dr. Robert Stackpole says, we know the fate of mankind from scripture, tradition, and reason. We know that some souls are in hell. If you say that no souls are in hell, that's universalism. If you say no souls will ever go to hell, that's a heresy. We know that hell exists. We just don't know which ones. They always say you'll be surprised when you get to heaven. They say you'll be really surprised who's there. And you'll even be more, or I'm sorry, you'll be very surprised who's not there, but you'll be more surprised at who's there. People who you didn't think. That, that was interesting. Now, we can't, we cannot logically conclude from the fact that in the liturgy that we pray for the souls of all the departed, that we can believe that means that all souls 100% will not go to hell. We can't take that view. We pray for all the faithful departed because we don't know. So everybody's open for prayer. Well, Father, what if I pray for somebody and they are in hell? Then God gives your prayers to somebody else. All right. We don't know the depth of the human soul at the time of death. Some might repent. We don't know that. We may not see that. Right. That some might repent. Some might not. Some that might repent does not necessarily make it likely that everyone will. Some will, some won't. There are some people, the tradition was Stalin shook his fist in anger at God and cursed God in his last moments. That would be damnation because that's the only unforgivable sin, final impenitence. Final fail to, re to repent. All right, let's keep going. We know from scripture and tradition that everyone will not be saved. This is daunting 
So we want to pray because we have a chance to help them while we're still alive. So right now that you do not know any one soul is in hell, even Stalin or Hitler, we do not know. So you have the chance to pray, especially for those souls that were entrusted to you, children, parents, relatives. <clears throat> we do know, well, Father, how do you know that there are souls that will be lost? We know from the two thieves that were next to Jesus. One was saved because he appealed to God's mercy and one was lost because he did not. Let's take a look at our next slide. Jesus told St. Faustina in the priority of his divine mercy. Let's read what Jesus says. I do not want to punish mankind. Now here we're into the mercy of God, but I desire to heal it, pressing it to my merciful heart. I use punishment when they themselves force me to do so. My hand is reluctant <clears throat> to take hold of the sword of justice. Diary 1588. Notice, I am preaching the mercy of God. The mercy of God is he doesn't want to punish. He doesn't want to grab that sword of justice. But if we force him to, he has to. Because God is mercy and justice, but he wants to be merciful first. So my, my purpose of this talk today is to say, let's not force God's hand. Right? That's the purpose. All right? This is, this is important. So when souls do force his hand, he wields that sword in a way that still respects human freedom. What do you mean, Father? Well, Jesus told the St. Faustina, when sinful souls bring all my graces to naught, meaning they reject his graces, I begin to be angry with them, leaving them alone and giving them what they want. That is the worst punishment, being left alone by God. He doesn't have to torture you. Well, that's not my God. You're right. It's not my God either. He doesn't do that. Well, my God would never beat up on somebody and club them over the head and torture them. My God wouldn't either. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I will leave you to yourself. You reject me. Okay, I will let you go. It's like a relationship. A lot of guys have been stupid over the years where a girl breaks up with them and they won't let them go. The smart guy says, I'm heartbroken. I'm devastated. I'll pray for you. I'll always love you. I always care about you. And if you ever want to talk, I'm here. But if you wish to go, I have to let you go because I love you. What's that phrase? Love someone and set them free. And if the love was meant to be, they will return. We can't force them. This is what God does with us. That matches the catechism, 1453. This is why the diary is so powerful. It matches the catechism. It calls hell a state of definitive self-exclusion meaning you choose to pull away from the communion of God. So as a result, St. Faustina was convinced of the reality of hell because some souls choose to do this. Like many saints, she had a frightening vision of hell and the miseries of the lost souls there. She saw the souls. So we do know there are souls there. This, in fact, is my next slide. Let's read what St. Faustina said. Jesus said, I want you to write this down, what you saw about hell. 
And she said, I am writing this at the command of God so that no soul may find an excuse by saying there is no hell. She saw it. Or that nobody has ever been there. She sees them. And so no one can say what it is like, meaning we didn't know it was bad. How come you didn't warn us? St. Faustina is saying, oh, it's bad. Faustina says that they saw fire that will penetrate the soul and burn without destroying it. A terrible suffering that is purely spiritual. Spiritual. And so we'll talk more about it in a minute, what heaven or uh, hell is like. Is it a real place? We'll talk about that in a moment. So we need to remember that God's wrath here is not an emotion. Well, Father, it says God doesn't change. How can he go from being angry to repenting? That's because we write in anthropomorphological or anthropological terms that we make God out to be a human in a sense, even though Jesus was human, so that we can better understand him. God's anger is not an emotion. His anger is a metaphor for his justice and his total opposition to evil, especially unrepentant evil. All right, God is not an ogre. God wants everybody to be saved. God wants to shower his mercy on everybody. God wants to bring you to heaven. God wants to be with you. God wants to, to do all this, but you have to accept it. The whole point of my talk here is not to say God is mean. My whole point of the talk is saying God is love. Accept it. Hell is simply not accepting that. I want to be God. That's the fall. That's the pride. That's the first sin. I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. That's pride. Remember that the souls condemned to hell actually deserve this punishment because justice is giving someone their due and these souls want to rule. Reign in hell, not serve in heaven. They have betrayed the infinite love of God without any remorse or regret. What burns these souls the most is knowing what they could have had, but they gave up because it'll all be revealed to them after death. All the people say, well, I don't need God. I don't want God. I'm not into all that religion stuff. They will see after they die, everything that they foregoed in their decision, everything they gave up, and that will cause misery. Faustina's main purpose in telling us about hell was actually to magnify God's mercy. Well, Father, it sure doesn't sound like it to me. <laughs> God wants to preserve us from harm. He wants to warn us about our self-destruction. This is why he told St. Faustina to share it. And this is why I'm sharing it with you. Father, I don't like you, how negative you are. No, this is God's warning to us so that we don't self-destruct. Only our lack of repentance and trust will cause this. The choice is ours. But God is still merciful. How could God be merciful if he allows this? By allowing souls to reject him, that means his love is authentic that he receives from you. God thereby respects our dignity of freedom. God will never force people to open their hearts to him and force them to repent. He doesn't want robots. Also, God knows that for souls who truly despise him, and don't think that 
I'm talking about just, you know, devil worshipers. There are many people that live their life like God doesn't exist. They don't outwardly condemn God or say, I hate God, but their daily actions portray that. Could care less about praying or the graces. God knows for these souls to have to see him face to face forever, especially souls that, let's go back to the devil worshipers, those who do hate God, to see God face to face forever would make them even more miserable than their self-chosen exile away from him in hell. That's crazy, Father. Well, listen to what Cardinal Newman wrote. Heaven would be hell to the non-religious. Boy, that's an interesting comment, isn't it? Heaven would be hell to the non-religious. Those who don't want you to hear the word Jesus in their presence. Those who condemn you because you're, you're religious. Heaven would be hell to those people. That's why we need to pray for them. In Paradise Lost, John Milton quotes Satan. As I just said, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And as we said, C.S. Lewis said, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. So hell is of a manifestation of this. It's God's mercy, believe it or not, giving people what they want. Justice is giving them what they're due. And in and, 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 and mercy is seeing through it to keep his promise. You know, but some theologians, they question the fairness of this. How could God give everlasting punishment for temporal crimes? I think that's a great question. My crime back in college, one time in my life, I got intoxicated one time and I'll never do it again. I was in college. It was a dumb thing. It was a stupid thing. Why, Lord, would you punish me for eternity for a temporal passing Stupid mistake, honest mistake in the past. Well, have I repented from that? Yeah. Well, then there won't be everlasting punishment. Have you learned from it? Yeah. Then there won't be everlasting punishment. Do I see the errors of my ways? Yeah. Well, then there won't be everlasting punishment. So these theologians, we should say, when it does look at it that way, it is really just for God to punish souls forever who don't repent. Why? Because their evil temporal deeds have had a permanent impact. They've affected the rest of their existence, both on this world and in the next. It is really just for God to punish those souls forever, not punishment in a way of vindictiveness, but in a way of justice. Is it really? Yes or no? All right, keep in mind what it is. It's betrayal of God's infinite love. And if we don't repent from that, we're saying we don't want anything to do with them. This is really an infinite crime justifying an eternal sentence because I'm never going to repent forever. Well, then the consequences are forever. Moreover, many of the worst mortal sins do have everlasting effects on the victims. Think about a murder. If somebody was murdered, for example, not only have you taken the only earthly life of that person, and this could be abortion, 
think about this for a minute. Not just cold-blooded murder in terms of with a gun or something, but abortion is murder. Not only did you take away the only earthly life that that person would have, but it prevents the life from others that would have been born to that person. Now, is it true that mistakes could have been made? Women were scared. They felt forced into that? Absolutely. Is there forgiveness for that? Absolutely. I have a special friend that had an abortion and I keep telling her that that little baby is now praying for you in heaven because that little child knows you didn't mean it. You made a mistake. You didn't understand it. You thought it was a lump of tissue, not a real human person because that's what society told you. Our decisions do have eternal effects. And so that's why heaven and hell are eternal. But you can repent. You can say you're sorry. You can come back to God. There's no unforgivable sin except not asking for forgiveness. That's the only unforgivable sin. The very fact that you walk into the confessional is enough to say, God, I'm sorry. All right, let's look at our next slide. We got a couple more left here. All right, see this? You ever wonder why there is no repentance in hell and nobody can ever get out? That's kind of a daunting picture, isn't it? All right. Why? Why is it? Why can't they get out? Why is there no change there? Because time as we know it changes on this world, but there's no time in heaven or hell. I told you that. So there's no change. Souls are frozen in their chosen state at the moment you die. So your state and say, well, well then father, I'll just convert on my deathbed. No, don't push it because you die in the state that you live. If you've been living, accepting God, you'll die in a state of accepting God. And for all eternity, you'll live in that state. If you've died rejecting God, you'll die in a state of rejecting God and you'll live in that state for eternity. Souls are frozen in their state of either love of God or cold hearted rebellion and hatred. There's no longer any possibility after death for growth. No longer any possibility of repentance. That moment of judgment is our key that we hope our prayers from the future or the present can help those souls. Their hardness of heart was fashioned by the misuse of their free will in this world. In fact, we've all known them. I was on that path. We use and misuse our free will until the fact that it's no longer available anymore. We misuse our own free will until we no longer had any freedom left to do otherwise. Time is up. That's why there's no change after death. That's why hell is eternal. All right, last couple notes here. Some challenge the doctrine of hell saying it contradicts God being all-powerful. God can get you out of that. Sure. If he wants to violate your free will. But God will never violate the greatest gift he ever gave you. He limits his own omnipotence. What is omnipotence? All-powerful. He limits it. He doesn't want to force you to love him and trust him. This would not result, as we said, in true love and trust, not an authentic love that's freely given. Let's go back for a minute to Father Barron. 
He claimed that we can reasonably hope that all, every single one, will ultimately find salvation. Let's go back to Dr. Robert Stackpole addressing this. He said, you know, none of the 115 billion people who ever lived didn't face trouble. If none of those 115 billion people ever lived, how many people are alive on the earth right now? Seven and a half billion. How many people does science tell us that they estimate have lived since the beginning of the world? 115 billion. Seven and a half billion are alive today, 115 billion since the world began as the estimate. If none of those 115 billion who ever lived are lost, it isn't reasonable to believe that they were free. If you had every single one of those 115 billion not lost, were they really free? Because man, we struggle in this life. We struggle with original sin, with concupiscence. We all have disordered passions and desires. We're constantly being attacked by assaults and temptations of Satan. The, the after effect, the consequences of our own sins that haunt us and those of the others, we could, we could fall to pride or despair. So to say that there is reasonable hope that every single person has ever been saved, Dr. Robert Stackpole says, doesn't match up. It doesn't match up against the reality of human free will in a fallen world. There's too many choices out there. And some choose for the wrong thing. Don't be one of them. But then how can Jesus ignore, Dr. Robert Stackpole says, forever the cries of anguish of those who are lost. Wouldn't Jesus hearing the cries of those in hell move his heart? Now, it's important here that we do not romanticize the cries of the damned. Let's look at our next slide. Sorry, this one's a little, you know, I mean, it's a little scary. In hell, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? That's a metaphor for actually hatred. It's not a metaphor for repentance. It's a metaphor for hatred. The damned don't weep for their sins. They don't repent, nor do they weep at all for those whom they've hurt. They weep only for themselves. Faustina heard it in the visions and the cries. In Diary 741, she says, Oh, of horrible despair, hatred of God, vile words, curses, and blasphemies. This is what hell is like. Above all, they blame God for everything. If Jesus were to reach down into the pit of hell and pull them out, they would spit on his hand. Don't be one of them. You might think, well, Father, I would never do that. Well, every single person probably would say they wouldn't do that. But we do it every day with our choices. If God is willingly speaking to us through the church and guiding us, and we blatantly, willingly ignore it, we're spitting on his hand. And so don't fall into that. Our Lord loves us. He wants us to be with him. That's why he's doing this. And so he has to ignore those curses and blasphemies that he hears from the souls in hell. These cries have no right to be heard. They're blasphemy, they're hatred. This is why even in the Bible, Jesus, Jesus warns us repeatedly about the dangers of eternal loss. 
Matthew 25 says both heaven and hell are eternal, not temporary. Other passages make it clear that some will remain impenitent to the very end. They'll never repent. Many saints of the church down through the ages have seen visions of hell, like St. Faustina. There's also the famous vision of the children at Fatima. Remember the three secrets of Fatima? You've probably heard that. The three children got three secrets of Fatima. What was the secrets of Fatima? The first one was a vision of hell. They saw it was real. Mary saw the children, but was with them. Let's read what Mary said. We have a slide for that. Mary said, you have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish devotion to my immaculate heart. If what I say is done, many souls will be saved. Say after each mystery, O oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those who are most need of thy mercy. So you see the difference here, everybody? God wants all souls to be saved. The reality is, is not all souls want to be saved. So this is why we pray. And I think that's the discrepancy between Bishop Barron and Dr. Stackpole and them trying to understand each other. I think it's powerful. I think it's a lot to learn there. So we don't know the answer to the question of how many souls will be saved. There's differing views. Many saints have said that the souls that are lost will be many. And in the end, only a few will be saved. What are you talking about, Father? These are saints of the church? Yeah. St. Augustine, St. Albert the Great, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Francis Liguori. I could go on and on. This is based on our Lord's words. When he was asked who will be saved, let's read what our Lord said. Our Lord said, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Please don't send me letters. I'm only telling you what our Lord said. Because I don't want to be in front of our Lord someday. And I be condemned because I chose not to teach you, help you, or show you the way to heaven. And one of the ways to heaven is the avoidance of hell. Now, the ultimate way is through love of God. But remember, there's three levels of holiness. The purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive way. These are the three ways you get to heaven. The unit, start for the top. The highest is unitive. You want to be with God purely to love him. Nothing for yourself, nothing in it for you, just because God is God and he deserves all your love. That's the height of holiness, the unitive way. Now, if you're not that high, maybe you can make the second level down. The illuminative way. That is, I want heaven and I want to be with God because there's something good in it for me. Paradise. That's not the ultimate way, but it is a way. And then the base or the most basic but still able to save you is the purgative way, which means I don't want to go to hell. You know that's enough to save you? 
It's not the ultimate way, but it is a way to save you. So this is what I want to teach. I'm thinking, okay, if I can't generate the total perfect love of God, maybe I can start on the ground level because this is how I came to God. I'm not afraid to admit that. I came to God originally because I was fearful. I didn't want to be lost for all eternity. Then that grew into, there's something good in this. And then that grew into, my gosh, my Lord, my God, you deserve every ounce of my being. Now, I still got a lot of work to do when it comes to love of my neighbor. Because God says both. And so we're always a work in progress. I still get frustrated. I still struggle with impatience. We all do. We're a work in patience. We're a work in patience. We're a work in progress. <laughs> you all know I love my cameraman, Giuseppe. But the other day, he forgot to post something and it didn't happen. So I'm like, Giuseppe. He's like, oh my gosh, I forgot. I'm like, Giuseppe. So you see, we have to, we're always a work in progress. <laughs> all right. So these are the words of Jesus. Now, God's plan of salvation, then people might ask, was it so poorly conceived that the majority of humanity will be lost? Man, that sounds like God kind of really, his plan really wasn't the best. It's kind of like an army general going in and he loses 90% of his men. Yeah, the 10% that survived, they captured the hill, but man, he lost 90% of his troops. Is that really a good plan? Hey, that's a great question. And I love this answer that Dr. Robert Stackhold proposed. He wrote something very interesting I want to share with you. He said, Jesus said that only a few will be saved. By that, perhaps, he means that only a few will go straight to heaven when they die. So while a, quote, few attain eternal life upon death and go immediately to heaven, and, quote, unquote, many to eternal loss, he doesn't use the word most. He uses the word few and many, but he doesn't use the word most. So Dr. Stackpole says maybe most will actually go to purgatory for a time of purification. Wow. I thought that was a real interesting explanation. In fact, in his encyclical Saved by Hope, Space Salve by Pope Benedict XVI, he actually supported this perspective. But will many be saved? Dr. Martin, Ralph Martin, I said, is a good friend. He's a great theologian. You can always trust him. He argues that if salvation is guaranteed to virtually everyone, Catholics are not likely to be filled with a passion to spread the gospel or the faith around the world with any urgency. Because there's no need. Everybody will be saved. Much less to make the kind of personal sacrifices that are needed to bring unbelievers to Christ, like martyrs. Why would a martyr want to die if everybody's going to heaven anyway? This is contrary to God's, Jesus' great commission to go and preach the gospel to all the nations. I thought, oh man, now Dr. Martin, uh, Ralph Martin has a great point. So I'm sitting here thinking about all this. This is fascinating. So this is what we have to look at. 
We have to look at that, as I said about 10 minutes ago, the reality is there are some souls in hell. Sostina Psalm. The question is, how many? We don't know. We never will know. We do know some have chosen that path. We pray that our loved ones will not. We pray that they will be saved. So let's go back to these saints who point out that hell is real. I have a video here from Father Mike Gately in his second greatest story ever told, Divine Mercy found in the second greatest story ever told by Augustine Institute that did a segment on hell. Now, there's nothing really gory or graphic here, but it could be a little scary to children. So if you have children watching this, maybe I don't want them to be scared because it does show some demons um, going after some human souls. So if you need to pause it here at this point, um, it's only a minute and a half. So understood if you need to do that. But please take a look at this video by Augustine Institute, because this is how the three children at Fatima described what hell is like. Se Nossa Senhora não tinha prometido para nos levar para o céu, acho que teria morrido de medo. Our Lady showed us a great sea of fire which seemed to be under the earth. Plunged in this fire were demons and souls in human form, like transparent burning embers, all blackened or burnished bronze, floating about in the conflagration. Now raised into the air by the flames that issued from within themselves together with great clouds of smoke, now falling back on every side like sparks in a huge fire without weight or equilibrium and tricks and groans of pain and despair, which horrified us and made us tremble with fear. The demons could be distinguished by their terrifying and repellent likeness to brightful and unknown animals, all black and transparent. This vision lasted but an instant. How can we ever be grateful enough to our kind Heavenly Mother, who had already prepared us by promising in the first apparition to take us to heaven. Otherwise, I think we would have died of fear and terror. Okay, so again, we show that because Mary showed it. She showed it to children 10, 8, and 7 years old. So while I did say, yeah, maybe children should watch it, I keep thinking, well, Mary showed it to a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 7-year-old. That was the vision they had. Why? Because she said, I want you to pray for these souls. Prayers of children are little. Uh, I'm sorry, prayers of little children are great. Don't tell your children, oh, you're just a child. You don't need to go to church or you don't need to pray. You're just a child. Child's prayers are some of the most powerful. That's why Mary asked them to pray for these souls. So you know what I want to do? I'm going to go ahead and end today's talk with one last reading from St. Faustina, and then we'll end for the day. But I'm going to come back next week and finish this talk. 
because I want to get to next week what we do to avoid this. What we do to guarantee we don't fall into this path. So I'm going to finish today what hell is like with the words of St. Faustina, but then we're going to come back next week and we're going to say, I'm not going to let that happen. We're going to get back on track. And with the mercy and love of God, there's nothing to fear. We don't want to fall into that. Satan uses pride, fear, and confusion. Don't fall into that. And so we'll end today with just some words from St. Faustina about describing hell. And then we'll finish next week in part two of this talk. All right. In diary passage 153, I've got the diary of St. Faustina. You can see that I have with me. If you need a copy, you can get it on shopmercy.org. St. Faustina said in paragraph 153, one day I saw two roads. One was broad, covered with sand and flowers, full of joy, music, and all sorts of pleasures. People walked along it, dancing and enjoying themselves. They reached the end without realizing it. And at the end of the road, there was a horrible precipice. That is the abyss of hell. Souls fell blindly into it as they walked. So they fell. This is a picture you see on your screen. That's a picture that St. Faustina really, she didn't draw this, but I thought that picture on your screen was a good example of what she's now describing. That they walked right off the edge and the preposite, <laughs> but I'm having a tough time with my words today. Uh, precipice of hell. She said the souls fell blindly into it as they walked. So they fell. And their number was so great that it was impossible to count. And I saw the other road, or rather a path, for it was narrow and strewn with thorns and rocks, and the people who walked along it had tears in their eyes. And all kinds of suffering befell them. Some fell down upon the rocks, but stood up and immediately went on. At the end of the road, there was a magnificent garden filled with all sorts of happiness. And all these souls entered there. At the very first instant, they forgot all their sufferings. That's heaven. So Jesus never promised us comfort on this earth. We will have all eternity for that. As I always laugh, you know, people have been pressuring me. I know and most of my employees like, Father, go, leave, get, get out of the office. <laughs> you need a rest, Father. I always laugh because I think, oh, they just probably want to get rid of me for a while. And I always say, well, no, we have all eternity for resting. We have very limited time on this earth. That's the suffering, sometimes the thorns and the thickets. But when we get to the end, it's a garden of paradise. That's the message here. Now that's one paragraph of St. Faustina. Let's read the last one. Paragraph 741 and we'll end today. St. Faustina said in paragraph 741, today I was led by an angel to the chasms of hell. It is a great place or a place of great torture how awesomely large and extensive it is. The kinds of tortures I saw. The first torture that constitutes hell is the loss of God. 
Remember I said that's when these souls realize what they could have had, but rejected. The second is a perpetual remorse of conscience. Basically, again, what I just said, the loss of what they realized they could have had. The third is that one's condition will never change. Man, that would be rough. The fourth is the fire that will penetrate the soul without ever destroying it. Which means the suffering will continue. A terrible suffering since it is purely spiritual. It is a purely spiritual fire lit by God's justice. The fifth torture is continual darkness and a terrible suffocating smell. And despite the darkness, the devils and the souls of the damned see each other and all the evil, both of others and their own. So you're living amongst evil for all eternity. The sixth torture is the constant company of Satan. The seventh torture is horrible despair and hatred of God, vile words, curses, and blasphemies. That's what we just talked about five minutes ago. These are the tortured, suffered by all the damned together. But that is not the end of the sufferings. There are special tortures destined for particular souls. These are the torments of the senses. Each soul undergoes terrible and indescribable sufferings related to the manner in which it chose to sin. Wow. There are caverns and pits of torture where one form of agony differs from another. So basically, if your sin was gluttony, you will be tortured with extensive, probably forced eating. If your sin is sexual, you will probably be violated by the demons in the sexual sins of that way. This is very troublesome in terms of what our Lord's trying to wake us up to. Please again understand, I'm only reading the words that Jesus told St. Faustina to give us. Do I like doing this? No. But do I feel I have to as a priest? Yes. St. Faustina says, I would have died at the very sight of these tortures if the omnipotence of God had not supported me. Let the sinner know that he will be tortured throughout all eternity in these senses which he made use of to sin. I am writing this at the command of God so that no soul may find an excuse by saying there is no hell or that nobody has ever been there and so no one can say what it is like. The devils are full of hatred for me, but they had to obey me at the command of God. What I have written is but just a pale shadow of the things I saw, but I notice one thing that most of the souls that are that are there are those who disbelieve that there is a hell. So St. Faustina is saying most of the souls that are there are souls that didn't believe it existed. 
How terribly souls suffer there. Consequently, I pray even more fervently for the conversion of sinners. This is why God is teaching this. This is why I'm telling you this. So that we can pray even that much harder for the souls that we know that are on the wrong path. The ultimate love is not, not offending people. The ultimate love is pre preventing them from falling off the cliff. I incessantly plead God's mercy upon them. Oh, my Jesus, I would rather be in agony until the end of the world. Notice she doesn't say for eternity. To the end of the world amidst the greatest suffering than to offend you by the least sin. Oh, my God will do whatever it takes to get us back to him. And what we just read might be the only motivation for some souls. Praise be to God. However, a soul comes back to God, either the purgative, the illuminative, or the unitive way. Out of pure love for God, kumbaya. Out of there's something good in it for me, all right, God will work with it. But even in the purgative way, out of fear of hell, God can still motivate you to avoid this. Again, that's the only reason I'm saying this. But next week, come back because we're going to continue with the answer to all this. What is the way out of all this? What is the way to hope? What is the way to look forward to and not be fearful? God's mercy. But don't be guilty of despair or presumption. Those are the two opposite ends of the spectrum. Despair is, there's no hope for me. I'm going to be lost. I'm a goner. I'm going to hell. No, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Don't despair. The other extreme is presumption. Well, it doesn't matter what I do. God so mercifully would never let me be lost. Yeah, he won't. You might. So don't make those choices. Yeah, it's easy for me to say it up here and say it. Don't think I'm not there with you in this battle. Every day is a battle. When I do my examination of conscience, I'm like, Lord, how am I ever going to be saved? But then I turn to God's mercy. Yeah, I've made a million mistakes, but God's mercy is there for us to get back up. Remember Saint Mo or Mother Teresa? God doesn't care if you fall seven times as long as you get up eight. <laughs> this is what we look forward to. Just don't leave the hands of God. Get to his sacraments, get to his mass, get to his church. Read the scriptures, pray, pray, pray. Do a little penance, do a little sacrifice, hope and pray for the conversion of sinners and we have nothing to fear. The point of this was not to scare us. The point of this is to correct us. And God will do whatever it takes to do that. Praise be to God. So thank you. This is part one. We'll finish part two next Saturday live. We hope you'll join us as we discover how we can avoid this. What do we need to do? And I'll talk more about scripture and I'll talk about a lot more stuff next week. So to finish, God bless all of you. You know, I talk about the power of this in my book, Brother Mark and Show. We have a special going on right now for any donation. Get my book uh, called Understanding Divine Mercy. You can get it on thedivinemercy.org slash UDM for Understanding Divine Mercy. Or you can call the number on your screen, 800-462-7426, and get a copy of that for any donation. It'll help understand this. And most of all, it focuses on God's mercy as the answer to all of this. And finally, if you've noticed a theme here, the theme of this is we can help each other. 
Our last slide is micprayers.org. It's .com or .org, either one. But the whole point of the association is us to get you to heaven. And you help me get to heaven. And I help you get to heaven. And all our Marians help each other get to heaven. And all our Marian helpers help each other get to heaven. When we stand together as a united army under the veil of Mary, we can't be defeated. Let's limit the casualties. We already know Mary wins the battle. She's crushed the head of the serpent. But let's not lose any more souls. Let's pray for them. Let's get them on the right path. As hard as it is, you might say, you know, honey, I know you're cohabitating with your boyfriend, but let's sit down and talk about this. I'm sure there's alternatives. Well, mom, I need to do it for financial reasons. And maybe sometimes those are, are understandable, but we need to understand God's commands and we try to live them in a way that we see that we're giving ourselves to God. Maybe it's addiction to alcohol or addiction to, to some deep sin, or maybe it's unforgiveness, or, or maybe it's hatred, or maybe it's selfishness, or maybe it's pride, whatever it might be. Remember, humility is the queen virtue. The saints always tell us that there are many souls in heaven that have committed many sins. There are souls in heaven that have taken drugs, that have stolen items, that have looked at pornography. There are souls in heaven that have sinned, but there's not one soul in heaven with the vice of pride. And likewise, they said there's many souls in hell that did good things. There are souls in hell that sat in the pew. There are souls in hell that donated to the soup kitchen. There are souls in hell that did many good things, but there's not one soul in hell with the virtue of humility. That's how we stay out of this mess. Praise be to God and let us turn to his mercy. And that is an opportunity for you to do it. M-I-C prayers. It doesn't cost anything. It takes but 10 seconds. There's no cost. Just sign up. Let us pray for you. Our daily masses, our daily prayers are for you, all of our Marian helpers. Pray for us and we become an army. And I would love to meet all of you. In fact, I gave Mark two last final slides. If you get an opportunity to join me, I would love to meet you personally. This is a, a beautiful opportunity coming up uh, from October 14th to the 24th of this year. I'm going with Stephen Ray. If you've never been on a Stephen Ray pilgrimage, they are simply the best. Stephen Ray is a good friend of mine, a convert to the Catholic faith, an incredible guy that gives you on the best pilgrimages you can find. And October the 10, uh, 14th through the 24th, join me in the footsteps of St. Paul. We'll be taking it. Greece is now opened up. Uh, I believe you do not are required a vaccination, but we'll give you more information. Call Peter at 413-298-1303 or visit marion.org slash pilgrimages to learn more. And then finally, I'll be joining another great guy, Deacon Harold Silvers, also, I believe, a convert to the Shrines of France. And this will be in 2022, next year from June 30th. Um, I think you can see it on your screen to July um, 2nd or June 22nd to July 2nd. I'm, I'm sorry, it's on the screen. <laughs> it's on the screen, but I know it's the end of June, June 20th to July 2nd. I think. Okay, I got it. June 20th to July the 2nd. And there we are visiting the shrines of France. You can get an opportunity to meet me, talk with me. I would love to have you guys. So if either of those two work out for you, please join us. 
We would love to see you then. And until next week, may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.